We are African, and we happen to be in America. We're not American. We are people who formerly were Africans who were kidnapped and brought to America. We. Our forefathers weren't the pilgrims. We didn't land on Plymouth Rock. The rock was landed on us. We were brought here against our will. We were not brought here to be made citizens. We were not brought here to enjoy the uh, constitutional gifts that they speak so beautifully about today. Because we weren't brought here to be made citizens today, now that we've become awakened to some degree and we begin to ask for those things which they say are supposedly for Americans, they look upon us with hostility and unfriendliness. If you're interested in freedom, you need some judo, you need some karate, you need all the things that will help you fight for freedom. Nationalism is the wave of the present and the future. It is nationalism that's bringing freedom to oppressed people all over the world. It, is, it was nationalism that brought freedom to the Algerians. It was nationalism that brought freedom to the Nigerians and to the Ghanaians. It was nationalism that brought freedom to the people of Uganda and Tanganyika and Sudan and Somaliland. The Africans didn't get it by sitting in. They didn't get it by wading in. They didn't get it by singing, we shall overcome. They got it through nationalism. And And you and I will get it through nationalism. What is it? What is it that makes it difficult for the philosophy of nationalism to spread among the so-called Negroes? Number one, they think they have a stake in America. They think they have an investment in this country, which we do. We invested 310 years of slave labor, 310 years, every day of which your and my mother and father worked for nothing. Not eight hours a day. There was no union in that day. They worked from sunup until sundown, from can't see in the morning until can't see at night. They never had a day off. And on Sunday, they were allowed to sit down and sing about when they die, they wouldn't be slaves no more. When they die, they wouldn't be slaves no more. They'd go up in the sky, and every day would be Sunday. That's a shame. And it is that 310 years of slave labor that went in that was my and your contribution into this particular economy and political system. They can give us the back pay. Let's join in. If this is what the Negro wants, let's join in. Let's show him how to struggle. Let's show him how to fight. Let's show him how to bring about a real revolution. Let's make him stop jiving. You don't need a debate. You don't need a filibuster. You need some action. Welcome friends and family, old and new listeners. You are listening to Signs and Wonders broadcast. I'm your host, Awi Jacob Maccabeus. Today's date is March 20th, 
2019. And to those that know, March 20th officially welcomes in the new year. The captured state of Israel often camouflages this as the celebration of Purim. This day also falls on the spring equinox, making it the first and the most powerful full moon of the year. In addition, for those that read and know scriptures, 14 days after the new year, under the moon of darkness, the Hebrews escaped bondage. This event is known as the Passover. Therefore, the official start of Passover will be on the third day of April 2019. I would like to say Happy New Year on this 400-year anniversary of the Hebrews of the Sidi Yaakob from modern-day Egypt. Thank you for celebrating this moment with your brother, Dawid Yaakob Maccabeus, on Signs and Wonders, the broadcast that came right on time. And like always, I would like to open up with a message to Aya. Thank you, Aya Maya, for allowing me to see this day. I thank you for this message and allowing me to speak to your children. I ask that you open the ears of those specific people that need to hear this message. Aya, send your power to this message. Help us organize in love and in respect for each other. Show us how to destroy this beast. You said in your word, after the 400 years, we will be free. With great substance and we will be free, Aya. You said in your word that Babylon, O oh Babylon, will fall. Aya, I ask. And I know that you always keep your word. Give us the power and wisdom to receive justice. I ask that you fulfill this prophecy and destroy the Edomites and strip them of their power. Strip them of their wealth. Strip them of their influence. Thank you, Aya, Maya, all praise Yahuwah, in the powerful name of Yahshua. All praise Yah, all praise Yah, all praise Yah. Thank you for letting me send that message to Aya. Now, today's message is entitled, Pawns and Rebels, 400 Years and Counting. This is the second part in a three-part series. In our previous broadcast called Prophets of War and the Trump Casino, I spoke on the state of black people in America and the push for reparations. In this message, I would like to reiterate this push and append this topic to the Pawns and Rebels series as well. In Pawns and Rebels, Rise of the Black Messiah, we learn that black gatekeepers, the pawns, and the revolutionaries, the rebels, 
are always integrated into our communities. Pawns are also unknowingly helping in the destruction of their own demise. The upper class known as the Boule spoke of by the great Steve Coakley is an example of this fact. Today, the black gatekeepers are on mainstream media telling us whom we should trust as they sell us out for 30 pieces of silver. In today's world, there is no shortage of African pawn shops. I advise you to listen to Rise of the Black Messiah so that you are up to speed on the method of operations of the, of the dominant society on how the dominant society employs to hinder our rise. Okay, now we're going to start where we left off on part one. In the part one, we spoke of the European slave trade during the time frame of 1619 when the first African seed was enslaved in North America. The Africans that were sold and stolen, sold by African pawn shops via the Catholic paper bulls to Europeans and Arab slave traders. Sold from the slave coast of West Africa exactly 400 years ago. This year and bought to the continent of North America. Now, first I want to explain to white America and African pawns why these details matter. Slavery is an open wound that never healed. The results of slavery built the prison this planet is in today. Scientific racism stems from those that wish to justify crimes against humanity. Scientific racism would not exist. Manifest destiny would not exist. Colonialism would not exist if it were not for slavery. The lucrative trade between the monarchs of Europe, the Ottoman Empire, and the African Muslim countries really happened on planet Earth. Denying this fact is an injustice upon our ancestors. Denying this fact allows the perpetrators to build the prison planet you live on today. The pseudoscience of scientific racism was used to justify the East and West Indian companies of Britain, Denmark, Portugal, France, Austria, Sweden, and the African companies of merchants, justifying crimes against humanity. Likewise, the Hudson Bay Company of Canada, the Mississippi Company of America, the South Sea Company of the British Empire, the Ustin Company of the Holy Roman Empire, and the Ottoman Empire all have joined to commit the crime. They cannot be left off the hook 
or the opened wound will never heal. They sow the seed of dysfunction we see in Africa today to delay justice while cloaking their role in the destruction of black civilization. The wealth disparity we see, the destruction of the environment we see, the poverty we see, the wars we see can be traced back to this open wound. When we study the uh, uh, the, the, the great kingdoms, when we study and, and we rediscover our great history, we find the ancient kingdoms of Punt, the Sabian kingdoms, the Hemurite kingdom, and the kingdom of Akzum. We find the Ethiopian Empire along with the Zagwe and the Somalic dynasties. We find the Mali Empire, the Jolof and the Wolof Empires of Senghai. The uh, empires of the Senegal. The kingdom of Sain. The Oyo Empire of the Yoruba. The kingdom of Dagbon of Ghana. The Ashanti. The Songhai Empire the empire of the great Fulo and the kingdom of Kong found in the west of Africa. In South Africa, we, we have the kingdoms of Zimbabwe, the kingdom of Mutapa, the kingdom of Butu, the kingdom of uh, Mapugawe, and in Central Africa, the kingdom of Gagwanda and the kingdom of, of Bugundi, the kingdom of Rwanda, and on and on. Before the crime of human trafficking, we had great powerful kingdoms. Kingdoms so great that the comic book Wakanda would be considered common. But then came the slave trade. And yes, slavery did exist on the continent prior. We know about it because we read about it. However, the Ottoman Empire's form of slavery was not the same. The European form of slavery was not the same. Their type was so different that no great kingdom remains. We now see only prisoners of war. The great kingdoms of Africa have been distributed to the four corners of the earth in the form of human trafficking. And as prisoners of war, the enemy has tried to wipe out the greatness of our African culture. We also have to acknowledge the stolen legacy from North and South America as well. Even as I speak, the black codes are still being enforced. They have placed our art and history in their museums and they cut us off from what we could have become. And like I said, we will not have peace until we have reparations. 
There will be no peace on this planet until justice is served, and this justice is called reparations. Now, let me be clear. This is more than another rant of reparations. This is my analysis of reparations, focusing on the spiritual. I ask that you sit back, pull up a chair, and listen. And if you can't listen now, please download this message for a time when you can. Now, I'm only scratching the surface, and I pray that I give this extremely important topic justice. First, I want to share a few spiritual revelations. But before we get deep into this discussion, I would like to acknowledge a few people. Now, the topic of reparation falls under what is called restorative justice, not social justice, but restorative justice. I discovered this clarification thanks to a woman by the name of Dr. Tracy McCarthy. She has a YouTube channel called um, Dr. Tracy McCarthy. <laughs> but on her channel, there's a video, and it's called ADOS and Reparations Verse Social Justice. And then it, it calls out Dr. Claude Anderson, Afro Synergy, and Tone Talks. Now, let me properly edify Dr. McCarthy. I read her bio, and it states that she is a psychiatrist, an attorney, and an educator. Uh, this is a very intelligent sister, an asset to our community. She breaks this information down with precise precision. If you want to go straight to the source, you can visit her YouTube channel under the name Dr. Tracy McCarthy. Okay, now, what is restorative justice? This is a form of justice This uh, form of justice, because this is going to be my, first let me be clear. I listened to her information, and this is what I got from it, okay? Now, so, the question is, what is restorative justice? Now, this form of justice is a legal claim. For example, if you get into an altercation or someone steals from you, the law will protect the innocent party and justice is enforced on the guilty party, right? So, this is restorative justice, right? Someone steals from you. Justice is enforced on the guilty party. Restorative justice. Now we have something called social justice. 
Social justice is not a legal issue. It's a tool to control the masses. Now, let me, let me carefully explain my interpretation because it's very important. All right? <clears throat> First, let's analyze this word social, all right? Because we have social justice, right? So we know what justice means. It's ma'at. What's social? Now, we're going to read what social means found in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, and it reads, involving allies or confederates of or relating to human society, the interaction of the individual and the group, or the welfare of human beings as members of society, social institutions, intending to form uh, cooperative and interdependent relationships, with others of one's kind, living and breeding in more or less organized communities, uh, A, of relating to or based on rank or status in a particular society, a member of our social set, of relating to or ca characteristic of the upper class. Okay. <clears throat> now, Think about this definition because it's revealing. It's quite revealing. This reveals a lot. We have a human society with interdependent relationships with others of one kind living and breeding in more or less organized communities. The welfare of human beings as members of society and social institutions. What social, I mean, what society in the United States has the power to enforce gentrification? Because if we're talking about societies, right, then what society in the United States has the power to enforce gentrification. Another question is, why was this word gentrification first used in 1964? Think about it. The first time they used the word gentrification was in 1964. Why? The word social also means a rank or status in a, in a particular society. Rank or status in a particular society. A member of or social set relating to or characteristics of the upper classes. Social justice is not a legal claim. It is a construct. What do I mean? Social justice is psychological manipulation controlled by the dominant society, the upper class. You should know this if you have listened to Brother Steve Coakley. I also speak on this in my previous broadcast entitled, 
The Purge became The Pause, March 20th, 2019, Countdown, and The Trump Card. In this message, I speak about the Fabian Society and how the main goal of the Fabian is to bring in international socialism. Look that up. Type in Fabians plus international socialism. Now, in that broadcast, I also speak on how propaganda of the deed is social engineering. And the social justice warriors, the SJWs, are contrived in how psychological warfare is a tool that they use. The recent popularity of social networks like YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, which are controlled by multi-billionaires who are telling you what you can and cannot say. Now, like I said, I'm just scratching the surface. Social justice is a construct. The American descendant of slavery has been led into a society that is designed to fail. This is upper and lower, I mean this, <clears throat> excuse me, this is how the upper class rule. They create the, the rule for the lower class of society to follow. Okay? They create the rules for the lower class to follow. This is why you have secret societies like the Skull and Bones or the um, Masonic societies or the Boule. Okay? Now, before I continue, I want to show a few examples on where the lower class of America will be if we do not deal with this issue today. Okay? Now, I'm going to segue into the examples. Then I'm going to get back to the difference between restorative versus social. Okay? Now, <clears throat> the first example is India. In India, they have what is called the caste system, consisting of five groups, four at the top and one at the very bottom. At the top of society are the religious leaders like priests and scribes. Then, one step down are those of nobility, kings and queens. Then another step, another step down are the teachers and scholars. And at the bottom of the four are the military. And then at the very, very, very bottom, they have the out of caste, also known as the untouchables. The untouchables are not allowed to claim a caste. They are untouchable by way of birth. 
If a member of any of this cast is caught in the physical shadow of an, of an untouchable, they're cursed. Now think about that. If any of the other casts, let's say a military personnel, is walking down the street, and he so happens to walk in the shadow of an untouchable, he is cursed. This group of people are known in India as the Dalit. D-A-L-I-T, like Dalit. Now, here is what this name means in India. And it reads, based in, uh, this is from Wiki. It says, Dalit meaning broken, scattered. In Sanskrit and Hindi is a term mostly used for the ethnic groups in India that have been kept depressed by subjecting them to untouchability. Okay? Now, I'm going to go over a little history on how this, this perpetuated in uh, the Indian society. Okay? Because it's always good to see how it got to this point. Even though when you read about this form of um, depression, suppression of, of people, you, you start to say, they say that, you know, it wasn't always as bad as it was. They had a system where you were born into that, but it was how society was ruled, but then it turned into demonic form, which is we see today. They, you know, they tried to, everybody tries to defend their culture. So I don't know, but the way it is right now is horrible. Okay. Now let's read a little history so we can get insight on what made it horrible. Okay. Now we have what is called the, the uh, Islamic Mughal empire, Mughal empire. This empire is ruling India from 1526 till 1857. And at the same time, from 1505 till 16, I mean, till 1961, we see the Portuguese state of India, listen up, the Portuguese state of India from 1505 to 1966, along with the Dutch East India Company trading in slave labor. Now, since we see the Portuguese post in India, we know the slaves are coming from Africa. Which means the, the upper caste, like the religious leaders, the nobility, the scholars, and most definitely the military, are impregnating the imported African slaves. Right? You know this is happening. Now, if this is happening, who do you think became the out of caste? Now, how many heard, how many of you heard about this? How many of you heard about the Dalit of India? 
And how many of you caught that meaning of what the name Dalit means? They are known as the broken and the scattered people. Now, you should know what the physical features of the Dalit are. Have you ever seen a Dalit? If not, then you should know that the, the Dalit are the blackest people in India. They're the ones with the dark skin. That's why India runs around and sells all this light skin cream so they can put it on their face and try to get lighter. Because darkness is a curse in India. The Dalit, they are the poorest people in India, kept at the lowest level in Indian society. Now, recently they changed the laws. They said, look, we have to outlaw this discrimination of caste. We have to outlaw this. However, even after the change, the laws in India remain the same. They don't Follow the law. Because the system is ingrained into society. Now, after the passing of the Mughal rule, there's another ruler, another uh, uh, um, ruling dynasty, I guess you want to call it, called the British Raj. They kept the caste system in place. Okay. Now, you could you should know now that <clears throat> when you see Indian people in the United States, they only intermarry with the white society, and at the same time, they shun the black society. The caste system is set in stone in the minds of the Indian people. This is the most vicious, inherited, exported form of racism. They're, they're exporting racism. I remember once um, when I lived in San Fran, San Francisco, California, I was selling cars. And um, it was an Indian couple. They walked in. And I had no clue about the caste system. I didn't know anything about Indian people. I was just like, hey, cool, nice customers. They looked dark. I was like, wow. Dark people with straight hair. You know? It was my first time I really actually interact with Indian people. And um, it was years ago. It was about 20 years ago now. Wow. Anyway, I'm selling cars. And I go up and I go up. I put my hand out. I'm like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I go to shake their hand. And they go, oh, no, no, thank you. No, I'm, uh. And I was offended. I was like, what the? What do you mean you ain't going to shake my hand? And then another salesman pulled me aside and was like, oh, it's against their religion to shake um, hands of, of people outside of the caste. And I was like, What's, what are you talking about? But I didn't know that was because I was black. 
anyway. Vicious, inherited, exported racism. Okay? Now, I'm going to give another example. And this one is going to bring in more history and tie in additional parallels. Additional parallels. In this second example, I will speak on the caste system of Yemen and like India, you will see that this is also a, a direct result of the African slave trade. Now, this was authorized by the Holy Roman Empire, the European Union of yesterday, and the African and pseudo-Jewish merchants. The African Arab and pseudo-Jewish merchants. Let me be clear. My goal is to bring your attention to the importance of knowing your enemy. The societies you see were created by the victors. We all live in the system of Babylon, a system built off of the backs of human trafficking. In order to maintain, to maintain this system, they must have the extremely wealthy and the extremely poor the have and the have not, the system of feudalism. Now, when you are able to identify your enemies, you're able to see the construction of their system. Justice in a socially engineered system is not justice. What you receive is what the system is willing to give. Therefore, if the victor is the great architect of the universe, what do you expect to receive? Now, my next example on where the lower class of America will be if we do not deal with this issue today are called the Akdam of Yemen. I will start with an explanation on who the Akdam are. Okay? Now this comes from Wikipedia. And it reads, Akdam, Al-Akdam, singular, Kadim, meaning servant. In Arabic, the marginalized ones in, in uh, the marginalized one is a minority social group in Yemen Although the Akdam are Arabic-speaking Muslims, just like most other Yemenis, they are considered to be at the very bottom of the supposedly abolished caste system. Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read an article to give us a little bit more insight on who these Akdam are. And um, this article was written in 2005. And it's entitled, Akdam People Suffer History of Discrimination. And it reads, Clean your plate if it is touched by a dog, but break it if it is touched by a Kadim. 
Then it says, Kadim, meaning servant in Arabic. This traditional, this traditional saying expresses the contempt by mainstream society in Yemen against members of the Akdam community. According to the most, according to the most popular account, they are the descendants of Ethiopian invaders from the 6th century. All right, now keep this time frame in, in your mind because it's very important, okay? Descendants of Ethiopian invaders from the 6th century forced ever since into the performance and menial jobs such as sweeping and shoemaking. Generally isolated from the rest of Yemen society, they reside in low-income districts outside of the cities. The Akdam community of Mahwa da Salm districts in Sena, for example, is a slum where some 3,000 men, women, and children of the community reside in small huts. And it reads haphazardly built of wood and cloth with few basic services available to them, such as running water, electricity, and sewage networks. Poverty is rampant. Okay. Now, you can read uh, the rest of this article uh, once you're able to download this audio file and go to HebrewsWakeUp.com. But I just wanted to read that example. Okay. And um, because a few years back, I spoke about the Akdam in 2012. And you can search the research section of HebrewsWakeUp.com wake, wake to get a, a deeper insight on why they are important to our story. Okay. Now, I'm going to divide into the history. I'm going to dive into this history. I'm going to, um, you're going to see. Uh, who the Akdam are, why they became who they are, and when this happened, okay? And I'm going to do this by going over the history. So just keep your mind, uh, keep your ears open to as I go through the history and keep keep this in mind, okay? Now, <clears throat> First, you should know, long before this area was called Yemen, it was known as the Sabian Kingdom, Sabaean, okay? If you're familiar with the, with the Old Testament, then you should know what this ancient kingdom or where this ancient kingdom is. The Sabian Kingdom, this is the ancient land of Sheba. You should also know that Sheba, this name Sheba, is the grandson of Cush. This is, this is um, uh, very important, okay? Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you an example from a book called After the Flood. Okay? This is also found on HebrewsWakeUp.com in the research section. Now, what it reads about 
Sheba in the they call it the table of nations, but this is after the flood and after the flood speaks about um, what happened to the names that were found in the Bible. And can we find them in the people today? Now, a lot of people say, oh, the Bible is just parables and fables and constructed. But however, you can find the exact same people that were written thousands of years ago. In the people today okay so we have a mixture you have parables we have facts and fictions and we also have ancient scribes and prophets that writ that have written these accounts down they turned into fictions after the usurpers took control of the books and created things like the Talmud it's very important that we do not throw out everything we have to understand what to keep and if you don't understand that, you lack wisdom. Okay? Now, this is from After the Flood. Sheba, Menaean inscriptions from North Yemen, and which date to the 9th century BC, tell us that Sheba was that kingdom, southern neighbor. The land of Sheba is also known to us from Assyrian inscriptions of the 8th century BC. Sheba was famous as the land of spices. Okay, now that's that's it for that. It talks about how Sheba's land of spices. And then um, I have in my notes here from Genesis 10.7. Now you can get your Bibles and open up to Genesis 10.7. And it says... And the sons of Cush. Okay, now, who was Cush? Cush was the first son of Ham. Right? So we had the sons of Cush. We have Sabah and Havla and Sapta and Ramah. Right? And Sabtaka. So Cush had a son named Ramah, because this is where Sheba comes from, right? Now, the son of Rama is Sheba and Didan. All right. Now, keep in mind, Ham had Ham's, the sons of Ham were Cush, because Cush had a brother named Mistram. He had a brother named Put, and he had a brother named Canaan. All right. The sons of Ham, the so-called cursed, the, the so-called cursed ones, uh, uh, according to the imposters and the racists. Remember, the, the what was the curse of Ham? To be black. Right? So they're telling us that Sheba is black, Cush, Mistram, Foot, and Canaan. Alright? And it's important to know this because these, this is Egypt, all the kingdoms, uh, kingdoms of Africa. Canaan is where Israel is today. I say this a lot, I repeat it a lot, but for those that are new, must know this information as well. So that's why I keep going over this again and again. It's an identifier of the times that we're in today and who the people are today. The reason why we are in this socially engineered racist system. Okay? Now, anchor this in your mind. Sheba is Yemen. Sheba is Yemen. Therefore, Yemen is Sheba, which means the people in this area at this time 
were 100% black people. Okay? The next point you should know is that around 110 B.C., before Common Era, before Common Era, before Christ, 110 B.C. time frame, we have the Greeks invading, okay? It was the Greek invasion into the land of Canaan, what is known as Israel. And during the time frame, the same time frame, this is from what is called the Book of Maccabees, which is one of the books that they took out of the 1611 scriptures. In the Book of Maccabees, in the Book of Maccabees, it talks about this event. At this time, we have another African kingdom named the Himyarite Kingdom. This is established. Now, this is very interesting. It's interesting because the Hemyar people migrated into Yemen and conquered the Sabian kingdom, the land of Sheba. Right? Now, as they are coming into this kingdom at one, one, uh, 110 BC, they're coming to the land of Sheba. This area becomes a Hebrew kingdom. Very interesting. Now, let me repeat that. After the conquering of the Sabian people, the land of Sheba becomes a Hebrew kingdom. Now, this is important because it ties a lot of pieces together. First, it settles the deception of the ignorance that claims the Hebrews are not African. And it also gives us deeper insight to where the Hebrew migrate, the, the, the Hebrews migrated to. Right? After the invasion of the Greeks, the Romans, and then the Edomite conversion, right? Remember the forced conversions in the book of Maccabees? After that happened, you had the Hebrews leaving that land and going somewhere. Where do you think they went? If, a, if it says that the, the um, Himyarite kingdom is a Hebrew kingdom, then I think this might be a clue on where some of them went to. Now, before I continue, let me read a second witness, because some of y'all need to have, have more information to believe this fact. All right? Now, let me read an article. <clears throat> now, this is uh, called Before Islam, When Saudi Arabia Was a Jewish Kingdom by Ariel David. Okay, now this was written, I think uh, this came out a few years ago, and um, this is what it reads. In 2014, that's 2014, okay, that's just a few years ago. In 2014, researchers from a French, France-Saudi expedition to the Serpents studied uh, studying rock inscriptions in southern Saudi Arabia announced that they had discovered what could be the oldest text written in the Arabic alphabet. But they did so very quietly, perhaps because the context of this text is something of an embarrassing, embarrassment to some. See, what now, they found something that was embarrassing. The serpents found something embarrassing. What was it? The dozens or so engravings had been carved into the soft sandstone of the mountain 
passed around Berhema, Hema, Hemorites, Berhema, a site about 1,000 kilometers north of the city of Naran, which over millennia has been plastered with thousands of inscriptions by passing travelers and officials. Okay, now, when you have time, I want you to Google the city of Naran. It's N-A-J-R-A-N, okay? And you will see that it is in the land of Sheba, okay? If you have time, get your Bible, open it up, look at the map, and um, do a Google search, and then follow along where I'm at so you can see where this is. It's spelled N-A-J-R-A-N, city of Nazran. Okay, <clears throat> and then it reads, conveniently, at least two of the early Arabic petroglyphs that were discovered cited dates in ancient, in ancient calendar, and expert epigraphics quickly calculated that the oldest one corresponded to the year 469 or 470 CE, Common Era or AD, after Christ. All right, now keep in mind, this is about 100 years before Islam, okay? No, 150 years. This is 150 years before Islam. 469, 470 CE, this is the, the 5th century, all right? The 5th century. The discovery was sensational. The earliest ancient inscriptions using the pre-Islamic stage of Arabic script had been dated at least half a century later and had all been found in Syria. Syria is way up north. This is way down south. All right, look at the map. Which had suggested that the alphabet used to write the Quran had been developed far from the birth of Islam and its prophets. Now, think about why that happened. Think about the, the migration of the Hebrews, the migrations of the Muslims, and why they migrated south. Very important. Okay, now, <clears throat> I'm going to have to bypass most of this article to go to the part that I want to highlight. Okay? And it reads, One of the key but uh, often forgotten player in Arabia at the time was the kingdom of Hemyar. Okay, they for key, they say one of the key but often forgotten. This is said should have said purposely forgotten players in Arabia at the time was the kingdom of Himyar. Now listen to when it was established. Established around second century C.E. Okay, by the fourth century, it had become a regional power headquartered in what is today Yemen. Hemyar had conquered neighboring states, including the ancient kingdom of Sheba. Okay. Let me see. Okay, now, this article confirms two things. This is the African Hemyarite kingdom, and they are in the land of Sheba. Now, I'm going to fast forward to more discoveries. 
All right, now before I continue, I want to check something. Hold on one second because, uh, one second. It could be a village anywhere in Africa. Locals celebrating with their centuries-old music and dance. But Jambor is a million miles from the continent. And these apparent Africans are in fact Indians, whose ancestors have lived here in Gujarat state for up to a thousand years. Known as Siddhis, this tribe of African descent retains few links with its mysterious past. They know nothing of how or why their forefathers came here. But there is one thing that ties them to their unique heritage. In our musical performances, we are like one. We all have the same musical style. It's also the same when we dance. Music and physical features are the few clues that anthropologists have to trace the Siddhis. Some believe their forefathers were labourers from modern-day Kenya and Uganda who were brought to India on Arab slave ships between the 10th and 14th century. All the Arab traders or raiders, either way, had to bring a lot of these slaves and at convenient places they were given their freedom when the nearest landmass came. Anthropologists believe there are up to 15,000 Siddhis living along India's west coast. While they have adopted the local culture, most live in abject poverty, even compared to other Indians. Their reluctance to integrate with mainstream communities means they are often left out of development. We have a lot to worry about. People in other villages live happy lives, but our people are miserable, so we do worry. The government has given them special tribal status to guarantee Siddhis access to jobs and education, but life is still hard. Okay, now I wanted to double check my research because in this article it says um, one of the key but often forgotten players in Arabia is the time when was the kingdom of Hemyar established around the second century CE by the fourth century it had become a regional power headquartered in what is today Yemen Hemyar had conquered neighboring neighbors uh, neighboring states including the ancient kingdom of Shiva. Now, the according to research, it says that the Hemurite kingdom wasn't established in the second century. It was established 110 BC. Okay, that's 300 years earlier. So it seems like someone's trying to trying to deceive us here. Anyway, hey, let's just keep moving. I wonder why. Now, <clears throat> like I said, this article confirms two things. This is that the African Hemurite Kingdom, right? And this established that this is the same Hebrew Kingdom and that the land that they are in is Sheba, okay? the reason why I'm reading this to explain about the Yemen, right? The Yemenese people, the Yemenites, the Akdam, the Al-Akdam. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to fast forward to more discoveries. Also in this article, 
it reads, It is unclear how much of the population converted, but what is sure is that in the Hemurite capital, Hemurite capital of Zarfar, south of Sena, refers to pagan gods largely disappeared. References to pagan gods largely disappeared from royal inscriptions and texts on public buildings and are replaced by writings that refer to a single deity. You notice how the pattern here is happened in Islam, this happened in Judaism and in Christianity. So the same characteristics. There seems to be the destruction of multiple deities and then the worship of the singular deity, monotheism. Same thing happened in um in um in Kemet. Right? Same thing happened in Kemet. All right. Akhnaten, Akdam. <laughs> A single single deity. Using mostly the local Sabian language, and in some rare cases, how they wrote, they write this, in some rare cases, Hebrew. This god is alternately described as Raman, Raman, Rahaman, the merciful, the Lord of the heavens and earth, the God of Israel, and the Lord of the Jews. It's funny when they write this, they have this in quotes, okay? And it says, prayers evoked his blessings on the people of Israel. And though invocations often end with shalom and amen. It's interesting how they translate this using Yiddish and English. Okay. It's very important to understand that because they discover something and it's still a deception. For those of us that understand, we know the deception. Now, let's translate this to what we know based on the wisdom that we received from Maya. Okay? It says, Rahaman, the merciful, the Lord of heaven and earth, the God of Israel and Lord of the Jews. Which should say, Yahuwah, the merciful, the Yah of the heavens and earth, the Yah of the Israelites, and Yah of the tribe of Judah. Now, we all know how when the when these people they discover something, the meaning always seems to change. Just like the Dead Sea Scrolls, the Bible, the Quran, and the Torah. We we know this. Anyway, now <clears throat> Let's follow the stages of events. We have the Hebrew Hemurite kingdom of 525 AD. That's when it ended. And then at the time we have the, because uh, the, 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 the um, Hemurite kingdoms come in, they replace the Sabians, right? And then they last until 525 AD. Let's just let's be clear. Let's, let's, let me make sure this is clear. And at the time, the African kingdom of Akzum is coming on the scene. This is a very popular ancient African kingdom, the kingdom of Akzum. This is coming on the scene. All right. At the same time that the 
Yemenite kingdom is existing. 525 AD. Now keep in mind, this is during the Byzantine era. So Judaism is now being merged into Christianity. Christianity is coming in. Right? Council of Nicaea 325. Then you had the the um the conflict. Then the conflict splits the church with 325, the Council of Nicaea. Then out of that conflict comes two branches. The Holy Roman Empire and then the Byzantinian. Not many people talk about the Byzantinian. I wonder why. Here's why. I'm giving you the history of it right now. The Axum Kingdom is rising during the time of the Byzantinian Empire era from 395 A.D. till 1453 A.D. Okay? The Byzantine Empire was abolished, overtaken in 1453. Keep that date in mind. Then the Great Kingdom, we have at the same time, we have the Great Kingdom of Zagwe. It's another African kingdom. Zagwe dynasty comes to power from 900 AD till 1270. And then around 1270, we have the rise of the Ethiopian Empire. The Ethiopian Empire rises and from this we get the Salamic the Solomon Salamic dynasty. Now, which is the House of Solomon? Okay, King David, Solomon, Judah. This is the history. Now, this means the Hebrews become the Christians, which means the authentic lineage of Christianity was established from the Hemurite kingdom. Then it went to the Aksum kingdom. Then it went to the Zag. Way dynasty, then it merged with the Ethiopian Empire, and then it settled in the House of Solomon, which is now known as the Solomonic dynasty. Now, what does this mean? This means, for those of you that heard this before, that should understand and get a refresher, understand, this means that the emperor, okay, known of, as Hel Selassie, was the true heir of the house of Solomon. This is the root of truth. This is why the Jamaicans were saying, Jah, Jah, which is Yah, back in the day. All praise Jah. In, in Ethiopia, you have a migration of all these spiritual Rastafarians going into Africa, speaking about Hel Selassie, when they are actually pointing us to the root in the history of the Hebrews, the Jews, the Muslims, but yet they're telling us that it's up there in Europe, in the Holy Roman Empire, with all them and white people selling us into slavery. Can you see the deception? Are you hearing me today? Now, we follow, let's follow the line of Hel Selassie. The Ethiopian king, not just the, not just the emperor, <laughs> the root, 
All right, now it says, uh, the last emperor of the Salamic dynasty is named Ama Selassie. That was the son of Hale Selassie. Hale Selassie, sorry about mis mispronouncing um, his name. Uh, then it says, the present emperor of Ethiopia is the grandson. Okay. Now, Aman Selassie, he passed away. His heir, the emperor, is named Crown Prince Zara Yaqob Ama Selassie. Now, I want people to pay attention, especially if you, you, you are, 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 are black and, and, and you've been lied to about who, who you are and the root of who you are. They knew and they know. Okay? The crown prince, Zara Yaakov Ama Selassie, is of the seed of Yaakov, the authentic people that made a covenant with Ayah. He looks like you if you are the seed of Yaakov. All right, now, I'm happy I um, was able to bring that to the forefront to add a little bit more oomph unto Yemen. Because this is all in the area of Yemen, people. Hope you are still following me and keep in mind, I'm still speaking about the history of the Akdam people. Okay? Also known as the marginalized ones. People say, oh, the curse of Deuteronomy is not real. There's no such thing as a curse. The Bible is fables. That's not real. Tell that to the Akdam. Tell them that your curses aren't aren't real. Tell that to the Dalit in 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 in, in India that you're not cursed. When a person, if a person steps into the shadow of those people, they're considered cursed, and they will kill them. We speak such ignorance, such disrespect for the word of Ayah. You better read Deuteronomy, understand what it means, apply it to what's going on today in history. And get some knowledge. Because my people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. Now. <clears throat> in the land of Sheba we are starting to see the lifting of power around 1171 AD. The Islamic Fatimid dynasty falls to the Ayyubid dynasty. The Ayyubid dynasty is not African. They are from the north. We now know them as the Kurdish people today. I'm going over some history now, so pay close attention because I'm bringing us. I'm bringing us to where we are. What's 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 going on in Yemen? Why is Yemen so important to us today? And who are these people? And where did they go? And where did they come from? And how is this connected to our story? So, if the Kurdish people today are from the Ayyubid dynasty, which took over the Fatimid dynasty, and keep in mind the Fatimid dynasty 
and the kingdom of Akzum existed in parallel. That's why I'm talking about them. They existed in parallel, but one was an Islamic dynasty and the other one was a Christian dynasty. And both of them were African. Around 1171 AD, before slavery, before the slave trade. This fact is important because it relates to the Moors. Guess who the Moors were, where they came from. They came from the Fatimid dynasty. That's why the Moors were black. And this events created Arab racism. The Arab racism we see today. Like I said, the Fatimid caliphate was a powerful black Shia Muslim caliphate and they fell around the time frame of 1171. And they fell to the foreign Sunni Muslim caliphate, which was the Kurdish people. Now, this was under the first sultan of Egypt. His name was Suladad. Suladan. And after from 1171 till 1260, we had the Kurdish Ayyubid dynasty. Right? The same one. After Soledad came in, this was his dynasty, the Ayyubid Kurdish dynasty, Islamic dynasty. Um, and, and we still had the great African dynasty of Zagwe standing still in the land of Sheba. So what they did was they overtook the Fatimid dynasty but Zugwe was still there. Okay? Remember how long they lasted. I think to like 1290. Now, <clears throat> we also have the most powerful Shia sect to ever exist. And they're called uh, Zedaya. The Zedaya. Z-A-I-D-I-Y-Y A-H. These are this is, this is very important to understand who they are. Zadaya. Now, who are the, uh, the, they are existing with the African uh, Zagwe dynasty. Okay, now I'm going to explain who the Zadaya are. This name, Zadaya, comes from the lineage of Zayed Ibn Ali. Zaid Ibn Ali. The name means Zaid means prosperous or increase. Now, when you add Yah to Zaid, it means Yah will increase or Yah will make prosperous. Zaid Ibn Ali was a grandson of Hussein Ibn Ali. Hussein Ibn Ali. If you are not Muslim, you might wonder who was Hussein. Ibn Ali. Well, let me explain. Hussein Ibn Ali was a grandson of the one and only Prophet Muhammad. Peace be upon him. Okay, now, this means he was a son. Okay, if he was a grandson of the, of, of the Prophet, then he was a son of Ali Ibn Talib. Peace be upon him as well. Who was Ali? Okay. Now, Ali 
was the first Shia Muslim. They even try to add Sunni in there, but that's just them trying to add themselves. But concentrate on the Shia Imam. He was the first Shia Imam. All right. And do a study on Shia so you can get an understanding on what's going on in Islam, because it's very important that we know the story of, 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 of um, Islam, the story of Judaism, and the story of Christianity, because it's our story. It's complicated, but it, it continue, it's continue, continue, continuously changing, and power is shifting. Okay? Very important. I didn't make sure what time it is. All right, I ask you all to please download this broadcast, save it for later, and then when I finish the transcript, you'll have a companion copy of that and images and documents. Um, and then you can uh, get, have a deeper study on this. Now, just like the crown prince, Zaire, Jacob, Ama, Selassie, this is important to the foundation of Judaism and Christianity, understanding who uh, Crown Prince Zaire Yaakov Amal Selassie is. It is also vital to know the connections to the first Shia Imam of Islam. Okay? Now, really pay close attention to this. It's very important. The Zedayas. They called themselves the Zedayas. It was like a sect, okay? They were also located in the land of Sheba. Remember, still talking about Yemen. We're still talking about Sheba. And guess which city they were from? The city was called Naran. Najran. Remember that article I was writing about? That's why I read that article. Because this connects them also. Same place where the, they found the ancient Hebrew writings in stone. Zediah found the powerful Fatima dynasty, where the Moors come from. We know this because the name Fatima comes from Fatima, the wife of Ali and the daughter of the Prophet Muhammad. Now, this is happening during the time of the kingdom of Akzum in Zagwe around 909 till 1171 AD. All of this is happening in parallel. Isn't this amazing? All this history that you don't know about, about African kings and, 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 and the foundation of the, the, uh, um, the, the Muslim nations and how they all were one in this area, the same place in Yemen. Now, the history behind this is important because we have to understand, you know, there was a dispute in Islam. And after the fall of the Umayyad dynasty, we had another, another uh, uh, Umayyad caliphate, which is like, this is how the um, Fatimid uh, Fatima Caliphate came to power, okay? We had the dispute. We had the Abbasid Caliphate comes to power, and they came to power after the throw, after the fall, the overthrow of the first Islamic Caliphate 
called the Umayyad Caliphate. Uh, it's spelled U-M-A-Y-Y-A-D, Umayyad Caliphate. Now you will read how corrupt the Umayyad had become. You can read this in history, how Abu Bakr asked for the help of Ali to bring back morality. This was because Ali walked with Muhammad like Yaakov walked with his brother Yahshua. Now for those of you lost in translation, this is James, the brother of Jesus. Okay, Yaakov walked with his brother Yahshua. All right, this is how close Ali was to the prophet Muhammad. It was his son-in-law, right? So Ali wrote and studied the Quran. Ali was married to Muhammad's daughter. He was a son-in-law of the prophet. So yes, he helped write the Quran. After the death of Muhammad, and at the time, there was a major dispute over Islam because usurpers did not have the book. Okay, now when I say that, don't think I'm speaking blasphemously that only Muhammad wrote it. Well, after he passed away, they had, if you read the story, I have an article in there, I think, uh, The Nation of Islam. I'll have to, I'll attach it to this, this article later. I gave a, 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 a brief discussion on how this happened. They talk about the burning house and Abu Bakr and Uthman, Omar, the whole history of Islam. I did it like four or five years ago. Okay, um, Ali is is um, in exile, and I think there are the wells of Ali, and he's there for like 25 years, and then for 25 years, he's there. So what else is he going to do? He takes the Quran, and he's rewriting it and translating it in, in language that, that that people can understand. And how do we know this? Because they call for him to bring back morality, because the Umayyad Caliphate is so corrupt. The Arabs from the north, they take control of the religion and the family Muhammad goes into exile. Then right after the, after this, after uh, because after the prophet Muhammad died, it became corrupt. Then we have the, Umayyad, the uh, Umayyad Caliphate. What they, they did was they tried to wipe out the line of the prophet Muhammad and you can read this in what is called the Battle of Karbala of 680 AD. Then we have something called the Revolt of Zayed Ibn Ali of 750 AD. And because we had the Umayyad Caliphate trying to destroy that line, they revolt, come in, fight, and then this helps bring the Abbasid Caliphate into power. And then, of course, the Abbasid Caliphate also become corrupt. So then what happens is, you fast forward to 980 AD, then comes the, Fabid, the Fatimid dynasty, the Fatimid Caliphate. It comes to power, and then, and then after they establish their, their hold, and they're working with the, the um uh, Byzantine, or, or they they have relationships with the African Byzantine um, Empire, and everybody's pretty much living without ha overstepping each other's boundaries, but understanding about the one uh, Creator, right? 
um, the, the, the Fatimid Caliphate is now overthrown in 1171. Then we have the rise of the Kurdish Uyadid dynasty under Soledan. And the Fatimid states are rolled into the second Abbasid Caliphate because they fell and then they came back. And when they came back, they decided to wipe out the Fatimid Caliphate or absorb all their states, right? The, Calif the Abbasid did. And then that lasted from 1261 till 1517. Okay, 1517. Now, this allowed them to take full control of the land of Sheba. Now, let's fast forward. In present time, 2019, we have the Houthi of Yemen, whom traced their roots back to Zadaya. Right? Another interesting, another thing, another interesting fact to understand is the reason why you have Saudi Arabia and Iran and the United States against, I mean, Saudi Arabia, um, Israel, and the United States against Iran, why they're a target of Saudi, especially of Saudi Arabia, is because the supreme leader of Iran, Ali Khamenei, I guess that's his name now, Ali Khamenei, he is, he is, he is like one of the most or the most powerful leader of the Shia branch of Islam. And not just any Shia branch of Islam, but the Zedekiah, Yah Prosper, Yah Increase, Zedaya, the same branch that was able to give power to the Fatimid Caliphate, the same branch that took the genealogy the black genealogy, the Moors, the real Muslims, the ones that look like the nation of Islam in, in the United States. Okay? Zedaya. That's who Yemen uh, represents, and that's who Iran represents. And that's why they're the enemy. And this is why they are protecting the people of Yemen. I hope you all understanding what is happening today. Okay. All right. Now <clears throat> I'm going to close on the history of Yemen. Cause I got to get back into this. The reason why I'm doing this broadcast, which is, um, reparations. Okay. Now in the area of North Africa and the land of Egypt around the time frame of 1229 AD, we're going to go back. Now we have another player, the Islamic Rusla dynasty, they start to get a foothold in the area of Sheba because the African kingdom of Zagwe was merged into the House of Solomon. This is history now. After this happened, this allowed the Muslims to take full control of the land. And all this is going on during the age of the caliphates. Then we see the Arabs are now enslaving those that do not convert into Islam. Okay? Now, it wasn't the, the, the black Muslims that were forced people to convert. It wasn't them. Because the Byzantine Empire lasted to 1453. Right? The Zadaya and the Fatimid Caliphates are now merged into the Abbasid. 
So then we fast forward to the time frame of 1538 AD, and who comes on the scene? The Ottoman Empire, which lasts from 1299 till 1923, the First World War. Remember, it was the Ottoman that destroyed the Byzantine Empire in 1453. It was Ottomans that conquered the ancient lands of Sheba. They did this with the help from the Portuguese, the Portuguese state, and the Dutch East Indian Company. You also have to keep in mind the Holy Roman Empire and the uh, papal bull called Dum Diversius of 1452. Remember that? This is not a conspiracy. This is history. 1452, you have the Dum Diversus written by the, the Pope, the Holy Roman Empire. And then one year later, 1453, the Ottoman Empire are now um, um, involved in the slave trade of Africans. Perfect timing, huh? So let's see. We have the Portuguese state of India setting up trading posts and the Islamic Mughal Empire creating the Dalit in north. And at the same time, the Ottoman Empire is creating the Al-Aktam in the south. Then the land of Sheba is changed to Yemen, which means south in Arabic. That's what Yemen means. It just means south. Nothing holy, nothing spiritual, just south in Arabic. So the question is, who are the Al-Aktam? If you're paying attention, they're the seed of Yaakov. Why did they become Akdam? Like, why did the Akdam become the servants or the marginal ones? Obviously, because of Deuteronomy 28. Right? And it's also to hide who they are. And it's because who we are. And also, when did they become the Al-Aqdam? They became the Al-Aqdam not during the time of Fatima, not during the time of, of the, um, the uh, African kingdoms. They became the Aqdam after the usurpers took full control of the land and started the transatlantic slave trade and also the slave trade between India and um, Africa. This is history. This is fact. Okay. Now, when people start denying history and denying, denying our story and try to, like, water it down for the usurper, you're doing a great disservice for your people. All right. Now, <clears throat> in America, the so-called Negro on this continent has endured many attempts by the dominant society to make us like the outcast of India and Yemen. The Black Code is a 1685 decree written by the French monarchy to push all Negroes located in the French colony empire out of caste, out of caste status. Okay? Now, the Black Codes of 1685, you know they were applied to the Americans also, the, the Louisiana Purchase, remember that? 
who they purchased it from. They purchased it from France. So that means in, 18, in, in 1685, all those that were enslaved by the French had to endure the black codes. Then 1865, the United States decided to upgrade the black codes in the name of Jim Crow, which lasted well into the 1960s. Now in 2019, the black codes morphed into institutional racism and low income status in the richest economy on the planet. In many areas of the country, the only opportunity is within the service economy. The servants of America are, are Uber or Lyft drivers. The servants, you know, the, the, the service economy becomes servants. They call it the servants economy. Pretty soon you're going, you're going, you're going to be, you'll be working for free with those credits in the mark of the beast system. The servants of America are Uber and Lyft drivers, valet parkers, waiters, bartenders, barbacks, busboys, cashiers, fast food employees, security guards, security officers, nightclub bouncers, nurse aides. This is called the service economy. Now, I'm not putting any of these, these jobs down. I was a nurse aide for, for years. That's all I could get. It was a horrible job. Wiping the mouth of old people and butts of old people and putting on diapers and all that. They want you to do that for free. This is called the service economy. And now we see what's happening. Now we see people with bachelors and masters, graduates, they're working in these positions. Okay, before, if you had a GED, you'd work in this position. Or if you didn't have a GED, you work in this position. But now you have bachelors and masters, graduates working in these positions. The low-income jobs are now being filled by illegal immigrants. I'm not putting down illegal immigrants, but now these positions, you are fighting for them with illegal immigrants because you're starting to complain. You're starting to say, hey, what's going on? You're starting to wake up to, 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 to all this. That's how am I? How do I have a master's degree? And I'm working as a nurse aide. So they're going to solve that because now those positions are being fulfilled by illegal immigrants. This is why now you have to speak Spanish if you want to even have an interview. And most black people only speak one language, English. Which means even these jobs are off limits to the American descendants of slavery. Therefore, we're becoming lower than an illegal immigrant into our own country lower than an illegal immigrant into our own country people can come to your country illegally and are made more qualified for employment and all this while social justice warriors 
are in the streets fighting for the rights of those to take your position. As we are pushed further down in society on the totem pole, racing towards the caste system, we have social justice warriors in the streets fighting for the rights of those that came illegally to take your position. Now, I have a question. How does this make you feel? Now, let me be clear, because I don't want this to be turned into some, some um, hate rant. I have nothing against uh, people coming and going and settling. That's not the point. The point is that this is engineered. This is brought about by those that want to create the system of Babylon of destruction, that want to create the caste system. Okay? Because the politicians have a solution for this problem. Because they are watching our reaction. The reaction to this issue is called the ADOS movement. Now, the solution that is being proposed by those in the political hierarchy, like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they tell us the solution is called international socialism. Now, international socialism is not the all African people's revolutionary party type socialism. The international socialism is uh, Bolsheviks revolution type, uh, North Korea, communist China type, right? The kind that killed over 200 million people, which is the Fabian plan in full effect. Now you're starting to see it. This is called problem, reaction, solution. Problem, reaction, solution. When Alexander Cortez goes up there and says, okay, we can, we need to have uh, reparations for all people. This is their solution. International socialism. Take away our fight for what has been done to us by the enemy. Now, this is why, uh, Dr. Tracy McCarthy's information is extremely vital. We have to clearly distinguish the difference between social justice and restorative justice. We fell for the deception already. It is called affirmative action. The Civil Rights Act of 1964 is the burning house metaphor Martin Luther King Jr. spoke about. Now to be clear, we would not need affirmative action if in 1933, the National Industrial Recovery Act, also called the New Deal, did not purposely cut out the so-called Negro. Now think about this. Our United States government in 1934 created a law 
that would keep the most vulnerable members of our society, the members that went through slavery just 70 years prior, the same group that had to endure Jim Crow, the Ku Klux Klan, countless riots, and the repeated theft of our wealth without repercussions, might I add, to be cut out of the New Deal, right? If we cut out a New Deal, we ain't got nothing. Therefore, the people that need it the most did not get it on purpose. Now, here we are 85 years later in the year 2019. They're telling us that the solution is affirmative action 2.0, which is welfare for everybody. Even the people you have to compete with for that low income service job. Now, this is what they mean by social justice. No justice for us. Now, let me get back to restorative justice versus social justice. Here's an explanation of restorative justice because we only talked about social justice. Now, what does restorative justice say? In Webster's, uh, it says something that serves to restore to consciousness, vigor, or health. Dictionary Online states, capable of renewing health or strength. Okay. Now, uh, let me see. Okay, yeah, that's it. Now, this definition is simple and straight to the point. That's why I was like, that's it. Straight to the point. Just like truth. You ain't got to be twisting turns. It took, it, took, it took me all that, almost an hour, to explain to you what social justice, justice meant. It just took me, it took, took me a few lines to explain what restorative justice is. Which means we need restorative justice, not social justice. Because a specific wrong was done purposely towards a specific people. We have a legal claim, not a social justice claim. A restorative justice claim. We do not want welfare. We do not want handouts. This is not an issue of diversity. We demand the same treatment you did for the Jews at the Holocaust. Same you did for the Jews after the Holocaust. Restorative justice for a specific people. You did not restore the Jehovah Witnesses in Nazi Germany. You did not restore the pink triangles in Nazi Germany, nor the gypsies, the Romans, the Serbs, or the Poles. And to my knowledge, Germany did not put billions of Deutschmarks aside for the disabled. The only, uh, 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 they only restored one specific group of people. The United States Congress the United States Congress is still paying reparations to the Jews. They did it before and you will do it again. You have a debt that must be paid. A debt and it must be paid. You purposely kept us out of the deal of 1933 
1934 and gave our affirmative action to everyone else. We need to be restored, to be made whole. And we are not asking. We are telling you. Yahuwah, give us the unity, the strength, the wisdom, the determination, the will, and the power of Yahshua to make it so. Make this demonic social engineering beast give us back what it has stolen. Force the beast to give back what it has stolen. All right, now, before I take a break and really get into this broadcast, because this is a long one, download it, and, um, you know, I just need to put it all on one, because in honor of March 20th, 2019, this is a special broadcast. One that you're going to listen to over and over again. What I would like to do is acknowledge former Representative John Conyers Jr. for proposing H.R. 40, the Commission to Study and Develop Reparations Proposal for African Americans. Now, understand since 1997. Detroit Representative John Conrays Jr. proposed a bill, H.R. 40. It was just to look at it, just, just, to, just to discuss it, you know, and they haven't done it. Now, in 2019, we are finally having the discussion. Now, keep in mind, that bill was just to discuss. But now, 22 years later, we are not discussing, we are demanding and part of that, those that are demanding, I want to thank is um, Antonio Moore of Tone Talks and Yvette Carnell of Breaking Brown. And I'd like to thank them for help pushing this American Descendants of Slavery forward, the ADOS, putting it into our consciousness of the planet. And none of this is by accident. I, I used to listen to them a long time ago before they were discussing ADOS. And I remember hearing Yvette Carnell and she would, uh, we're speaking about how the tax, uh, the tax breaks were going to take all this money away and how that was your reparations. They took it away. And at first I listened to her and I was like, I don't like welfare, you know, but she had a point. The welfare was our reparations and they gave that to everybody else. If that, if it was reparations that, that was supposed to make us whole, but they took it away. They took away your food stamps. Okay. Anyway, now, regardless if you agree with them or not, they're doing all this right on time. We also can't forget Dr. Claude Anderson or teacher Nellie Fuller for keeping us on code. Also want to, rep- want to thank uh, Tariq Nasheed for bringing it into the mainstream and putting it on Twitter. If you're pushing this message, you're on the right side of history. Okay. Now we have to bring up the point of it being just directed towards the um, American descendants of slavery. We'll have that discussion also. Okay. Now, Here's where 
<clears throat> we get to the spiritual part of the message. I will first analyze the revelations concerning the 400-year cap captivity. Keep in mind the American 400-year time frame is going to be different from the South American, the uh, uh, I mean the South African, the South American, and those in the Caribbean. Because the Dutch East Indian Company was founded in March 20th, 1602. They set their roots in South Africa in 1652. The date 1619 is a marker for ADOS. We know the story of the black slave owners and the tales, the tall tales of the migration of free Africans. If this makes you feel good to read the stories written by the victors, then go ahead. We know these stories about how they said that that most Africans came here by their own free will or some of the Africans came on free will and they actually own slaves. So the white man's not responsible. We know about this stuff. We know about these tall tales. Okay. Regardless, you still going to pay. Now, America is only one piece where the descendants of slavery are. American descendants of slavery is going to create the template for the rest of the victims to follow. The East and the West Indian companies of Britain, Denmark, Portugal, France, Austria, Sweden, and the African company of merchants all committed crimes against humanity. They committed crimes against humanity. Okay? The Hudson Bay Company of Canada the Mississippi Company of America, the South Sea Company of the British Empire, the Ustan Company of the Holy Roman Empire, and the Ottoman Empire benefited and participated in the, de the destruction of Africa. Babylon will fall. Babylon will fall. The Haitian descendants of slavery, the Jamaican descendants of slavery, the Virgin Island descendants of slavery, the Afro-Bahamian descendants of slavery, the Colombian descendants of slavery, the Brazilian descendants of slavery, the Venezuelan descendants of slavery, and on. 1619 is not the same time frame for everyone. Okay? However, 2019 is just the beginning. The ADOS will strike the match that will light the fire. Okay? So let's stop being divisive over why the ADOS is not involving Pan-Africanism. This is Pan-Africanism. We all got to get on code. We all got to get on code and understand that this is laying the building blocks that will result in the freedom of us all because the crime has been committed to us all. Okay, now I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be right back because the next part of this broadcast is going to get into the prophecies 
and where and how in the Bible and the 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 uh, the ancient scriptures, the um the and how those these books tie in to where we are today because this is spiritual, this is extremely spiritual, and if you don't grasp that, then you're not going to be free. Okay, thank you for listening, and I'll be right back. Dr. Francis Welsing, give us the benefit of your theory, please. Well, my theory was, I wrote the paper in 1969, I wrote a paper called The Crest Theory of Color Confrontation and Racism. And the sole reason behind writing that paper was an attempt to understand the behavior of white people in relationship to all people of color, every place in the world, black, brown, red, and yellow people. And the paper was presented to the Americans at the National Medical Association, the section on psychiatry in neurology, because back in 1969, uh, the black caucus in the American Psychiatric Association, we had said that racism, and when we talk about racism, we're talking about the white supremacy behavior of white people that racism was the number one mental health problem in the nation and it was the number one cause of other mental health problems. And I wanted to understand what this thing of racism really is all about because it's the kind of, it is the thing that has caused woe and misery and suffering for the vast majority of the people on this planet that are classified as non-white. And in my attempt to understand why the necessity of white people to keep saying that white is superior and that the condition of non-white is inferior. And the more I thought about it, in conjunction with uh, an idea that a friend of mine had that racism was a worldwide behavioral system for the maintenance of white supremacy by a small minority of people, I put those ideas together with what we know about genetics, what we know about the condition of skin whiteness itself. The condition of skin whiteness is the genetic inability to produce skin pigment called melanin. This is a genetic recessive trait. It is a genetic deficiency state, not as defined by Francis Welsing, but defined by geneticists and dermatologists that the inability to produce the skin pigment of melanin or melanin pigment is described as albinism. And I think that white people even though most white people are not consciously understanding their problem in genetics. They are certainly aware that they are genetically dominated by people of color. That's why it was a statement, one, block, one drop of black blood makes you black, because people of color have the genetic capacity to annihilate white people. And so unless white people control the reproductivity of people of color, then we have, we can postulate that perhaps one day there won't be any white people. And I think that the very survival of white people necessitates that they project genetic inferiority on people of color because it is they who really are aware that they are genetic recessive and perhaps genetically inferior to people of color. And I am not saying this to to call uh, the condition of skin whiteness to say, well, no, white people are inferior. I'm not saying it for that purpose, but I think that it is of prime importance for the majority of people in the world to understand why it is that white people have to, the effective majority, large numbers of white people, have to move in a hostile and an aggressive way against people of color and have to constantly focus on it's you who's genetically inferior because they realize that there's something wrong with their genetic status. Now, now. May I what? take a call? Oh, sure, All right. please. Let, let me, uh, so that, because uh, we have a number of calls, and we'll see what the public wants to find out also. 
Just one second. Okay, welcome back. Thank you so much for staying with me. Uh, this section is called Manifest Destiny in the Book of Ephesians. Uh, like I said, the best way to um, find out this information is to use ancient books and scriptures. The simplest way to do this is to use the same books the Jews in Israel use called the Torah. The same book they use to justify Israel's right to exist, which are called the five books of Moses. We will also use the same book the Catholic Church used to justify chattel slavery via the papal bulls and the Southern Christians justification for Willie Lynch, Jim Crowism, and Manifest Destiny. These books are the King James 1611 Apocrypha, the Septuagint, and the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have three types of people using our books to place themselves into the position they are in today. These types are the European Jews that claim to be the Hebrews of the Covenant. The second are the Anglo-Christians that used our books to justify slavery while enforcing the black codes. And the third are the ruling class known as the cabal, the hidden hand behind the scenes giving them orders. These are the ones giving the other two cover, also known as principalities in high places. I will begin this discussion with a very interesting philosophy called Manifest Destiny. I will start here because this is a perfect example on how the white inferiority complex, I don't want to say white supremacy, let's start using white inferiority complex how they used scriptures to destroy our planet. We can find this in the book of Ephesians 6. And the verse will read, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart as unto Christ. Now, this one Bible verse was used by the Confederate soldiers, the Confederate slaveholders that be, later became the Confederate soldiers. It was used by them to justify the divine right to own human beings as their property. Now, think about it. We all know how the seed of the serpent twists the word to indulge in crime. They believe this verse pointed them to the Civil War. They used this verse to create the war between their own people. 
This is one of the main reasons many of us reject any form of the Bible. It's because how they used it and twisted the Bible. However, there are those of us that can see through this BS. Some think the key to power is to reject a book and the teachers in the book. Yet, in doing this, we as a people are more divided than ever. Now ask yourself an honest question. If this book and the ancient Hebrew scriptures are powerful enough to break us and strip us of our power, then could not this same book build us and restore our power? If the devil used Christianity, Judaism, and Islam to destroy the most powerful people on the planet, what do you think would happen if the rightful owners used it correctly? Who told you to wait for the Messiah? We wait while they look and suppress your rise. Who made Deuteronomy 28 the curse of stagnation instead of a call to action? Your thoughts are lost in translation. These books are about you. No matter how they twist the script. They're about you. We need to grow up and own it. We need to take action. We need to use the information our ancestors died for us so that we can be free. Free yourself because you are the rise of the Black Messiah. Now, back to this snake. Now, first of all, if this book was written by Shaul around 60 AD, the book of Ephesians, if this book was written around 60 AD, if this is the case, then this book applied to the people in 60 AD at the time. Now, keep in mind, this was not supposed to apply to enslaved African Prisoners of War of 1860. In Rome, during the era of 60 AD, you had people that were enslaved through purchase and people that were enslaved through debt. You had slaves from war and some even volunteered. They became gladiators. Remember that movie, The Gladiator? Today, in compare, in, in, in to compare, we, we call them United States military personnel. Now think about it. Most of the United States military comes from the lower uh, middle class and those in poverty. We have to put the book into its proper context. In addition, if you can continue to read, it states 
and ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your masters also is in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. And like I always mentioned, the King James English of 1611 translated the book from the Latin Vulgate, and then the Hebrews took it from the, uh, I mean, then the Greeks took it from the Hebrews. So it went from the Latin Vulgate, it went from, it, it was English, and the English took it from the Latin Vulgate, and the Latin Vulgate, Latin Vulgate took it from the, the Greeks, and the Greeks took it from the Hebrews. So therefore, how can you ha how can you know what you're reading is correct? The only way you can understand this is precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little and there a little. Are you familiar with that? That means you got to search and research and search and research back to the original. Breaking down the word. This was written from, a, from the prophet Isaiah. He knew that they were going to take the word, burn the libraries, hide the books. Precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Now, because the snake used the books to mask great power, we now see the offspring of the Confederate soldiers standing proud in our capitals, worshiping their statutes, courtesy of the Ku Klux Klan. It's like I spoke about in the, the first broadcast. Now, if they would have read the proper context of this book, then they would have known this was telling them to treat people with respect. Now, how do I know this? Because Ayah does not see you as master or servant. Because both are the essence of the same Yah. Think about the context in this in this chapter, right? You had debt slaves, and the servants were called at this time when you read and you research. This is this is the definition of a servant. They were carpenters, farmers, seamstress. Maids and soldiers, as an example. The city of Ephesians, Rome, around 60, 60 A.D., did not apply to chattel slavery. Okay? It wasn't a form of slavery of 1860. These demonic people, they missed the meaning. Just like the other demons that twist scriptures to justify wickedness in high places. Okay, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to read Ephesians 6, verse 9, which most of those that understand these scriptures should know. 
And it says, finally, my brethren, be strong in Yahuwah and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of Yah that ye may be able to stand against the wells of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of Yah, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet showed with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Interesting how in the same book one verse later they missed that whole point and like I said they purposely missed the point now what's interesting is for them to justify slavery by using the same book they're like laughing at you because they're saying like Okay, we're going to we're going to take the top verse and use this to justify slavery. And even though we know that this verse is talking about us, we're going to make sure that you don't even know how to translate this. I mean, it's like a slap in the face. They're laughing at us. Now, I'm going to break this um this this uh uh verse down. In this section, we have principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay? Now, we're going to break this down some more because this leads us to how they justified manifest destiny. Okay? Because we're going to look at these four groups that they mentioned. One, principalities. Two, powers. Three, rulers. And four, spirits. Now, let's analyze each one. First, we read of principalities. At the time of this writing, A.D. 60, this would be the emperor of Rome the ruler of the commonwealth like like our president this would be the highest office of power on earth which in actuality is the lowest because we can observe how Donald Trump battles the deep state he's like a puppet in the wind the next group are those that have power on earth in the Greek this word power is G1849 the meaning is privilege, freedom, mastery, magistrate, like a judge, jurisdiction, authority, and then it says, and Superman. So basically, according to G1849, this group is equivalent to owners of corporations, like billionaires. Anyone that has the power to control every aspect of your life. 
Now, for low-income communities, this would be police officers or judges. Now, the sad thing is this shows how low we are in society, those that have to be subjected to being killed by the police. You know? Because the police ain't rich, but yet they have the power over your life. Just like an owner of a corporation. Even worse, they got the power of life and death. They can kill you without getting in trouble. But keep this in mind now. Trump has less power now than he was a superman. He was a superhuman. Before he ran a corporation. He was a billionaire like Jeff Bezos. They own politicians. They have the power to own powerful politicians that can influence law. Now, the next group are the rulers of darkness. They're the rulers of darkness of this world. Now, this one should be self-explained. It's self-explanatory. It says G2888. In the Greek, it says a world ruler and epithet of Satan. Ruler. Now, this literally means demonic beings. It could mean aliens from outer space, <laughs> demons from hell, whatever you need to help you understand G2888. The rulers of darkness are those who have power and because of evil spirits, they can make the lower groups superhuman, like judges and politicians. This is the synagogue of Satan. Now think about it. When the Ku Klux Klan ran around like demons killing people through lynching and burning crosses and burning them to the stake, who do you think influenced them? Every human sacrifice gives them power. Every lynching, burning human beings for Satan. Now, the last group, the final group, our group four is spiritual wickedness in high places. What, what does the definition say about this? G4152, spirit. Pertaining to this verse, it says supernatural, religious. Also, it links to G4189. So they're saying religious, but we're going to give a, a deeper meaning in this. And it's depravity, which is criminality, immorality, lawlessness, malice, venom, poison, hatefulness, rancor. Okay. Now, this last group from Book of Ephesians, the last Book of Ephesians are at the top of the hierarchy of power. The last group, they're at the top, tippy top of the pyramid. They communicate via the religion of Hermetism, the Kabbalah, the Kabbalah, the black magic. They control this world generationally through a bloodline. They base their power on the secret religions that are intertwined within Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. They do this so they can hide in plain sight. 
Now, if you remember the last broadcast, I spoke of that letter that was written, or maybe not written, but who knows, but it was written by the devil, the one that referenced Albert Pike, and explained that the worldwide, they wanted to bring in the worldwide worship of Lucifer. This was their final goal. Okay? Now, since we understand this, and now we understand that um, they should have kept reading Ephesians, I think what what they're basically telling us in the book, in Ephesians, is that the ones that enslaved you, the ones that used this, the ones that created Manifest Destiny, are the principalities in high places, just like we were warned about. Okay? So, if that's the case, what were the re results of Manifest Destiny? Okay? And it reads, Manifest Destiny was a contested concept pre-Civil pre War. Democrats endorsed the idea, but many prominent Americans such as Abraham Lincoln, uh, Ulysses S. Grant, and most Whigs rejected it. Historian Daniel Walker Howard writes, American imperialism did not represent an American consensus, it provoked bitter dis dissent within the national policy. Whigs saw American moral mission as one of the democratic examples rather than one of conquest. Okay? So a small group of people pushed this ideology. Right? Now, when you research the origin of this concept, you trace it back to 1840, to a man by the name of John O'Sullivan. Now, the thing about it is they were doing this already, right? So it's not like he came up with the concept because you had slavery already going on through the kings. He was just he was just um, picking up the baton and now implementing it and concentrating it in the United States of America or before there was the United States. Okay. And it reads, O'Sullivan believed God, then it says Providence, had given the United States a mission to spread Republican demo democracy, the great experiment of liberty throughout North America because Great Britain would not use Oregon for the purpose of spreading democracy. Though O'Sullivan, British claims to the territory could be disregarded. O'Sullivan believed that Manifest Destiny was a moral ideal, a higher law, that superseded other considerations, including international laws and agreements. He made clear he did not uh, include Eastern Canada as part of the destiny and worked to defuse tensions between the two countries in 1840s. See, the European is always... <clears throat> at peace with each other, but at war with us. Always. That's why we need to unify. We need to use the same book that they use to divide us to bring us together and get the power out of that book. The power that they got from it, the power we get from it. But we use it correctly and destroy them and wipe them off the planet. Now, in this explanation, check out that word providence. This word means God, deity, or divine. 
superintendents. Now, before I close on this on this first, let's see that the effects of manifest destiny after Sullivan Providence. Most likely, this was the ideology of the Confederate Army, right? So it was used to justify the Civil War. It was used to take Puerto Rico, the Philippines, Guam, Hawaii. And then out of this came what's known as the Monroe Doctrine of 1850, just 10 years later. This allowed the creation of what is called now the Banana Republicans. I mean, the, the Banana Republics, not the Banana Republicans, the Banana Republics, which is Honduras, uh, Guatemala, you know, now they're trying to turn Venezuela into a banana republic. Ecuador. Also, if um, those of you recall Smedley Butler, General Smedley Butler, Wars a Racket, he was involved in that. Now let's fast forward to Iran-Contra. Then out of that, we got the crack epidemic. And then interventionalism that led to Elliot, Abram, and war crimes. Now we watch the news in 2019. They are starting another war to steal the wealth of Venezuela. So let's recap. We can see how the demonic cabal were posing as Christians so that they can use one version in the book, just one verse. They can use a version their version of it, but by using just one verse in the book of Ephesians to justify slavery. And out of that, they created a, man, a, a manifesto to justify wars while twisting the meaning of the context. It's like recently, this guy in New Zealand creates a manifesto and kills all these people, and then he writes his manifesto so people to read it. They're crazy. Now, they took the book of Ephesians to justify slavery and create a manifesto to justify wars while twisting the meaning of the context. When in fact, the book of Ephesians was written to show us how to be moral in relationships when it comes to the working class and upper class of society at that time. It was a, it was a, a lesson, a teaching lesson for humanity and morality. But then the church fathers decided to translate it to mean master and slave. Then the second context was written against the corruption of power. And to fight it and not to become it. Because absolute power corrupts absolutely. The slave trader of the South ignored verse 10 through 15. And became, he came the devil in the details, literally became the devil in the details. Now as a result, we got manifest destiny and the, the Monroe Doctrine, which has, has, Contributed to the demonic state of the world we see today. Like Jim Crow racism. 
this so-called white supremacy or white inferiority. We saw them create the Indian genocide, then genocides in South America, two world wars, environmental pollution, and an out-of-control American imperialism. Now, I'm going to get deeper into this topic of slavery and how it relates to the 400 years captivity and reparations in ADOS. And I'm going to close out this broadcast. Um, but before I do, I'm going to take one last break, get some water, and um, I'll be right back. Secret FBI memos made public today show that the late J. Edgar Hoover ordered a nationwide campaign to disrupt the activities of the new left without telling any of his superiors about it. The FBI campaign lasted from 1968 until 1971 when Mr. Hoover ended it. He ordered his agents not only to expose new left groups, but to take action against them to neutralize them. The memos were made public because the government lost a lawsuit filed by NBC News correspondent Carl Stern under the Freedom of Information Act. Here is Stern's report on the secret FBI memos. The documents prove for the first time that the FBI undertook a program in 1968 to harass and destroy new left political organizations whose views the federal police agency disagreed with. Wrote FBI Director Hoover, the purpose of the program would be to expose and disrupt the new left. We must frustrate every effort of these groups and individuals to consolidate their forces or to recruit new or youthful adherents. In every instance, consideration should be given to disrupting the organized activity of these groups. Director Hoover detailed the setup of the program, saying anarchists and revolutionists had to be neutralized if law and order and a civilized society were to survive. This document shows that in 1971, all the counterintelligence programs were abruptly ended, including those against the New Left, black extremists, the Socialist Workers' Party, communists, and a program to disrupt white hate groups. One former agent who, described, who participated in the program has described how burglaries, forged blackmail letters, and threats of violence were used to try to stop anti-war marches. Many of the techniques were clearly illegal, but justified in the interest of national security. Today, the Justice Department said no attorney general authorized or knew of the program. Ramsey Clark, who was attorney general when it started, called the program deplorable and said in his judgment, those who took part are indictable. Carl Stern, NBC News, Washington. Welcome back, brothers and sisters, friends and family. We have reached the final part of this broadcast. And uh, this section of the broadcast is entitled The Jews, the Hebrews of the Covenant and the Synagogue of Satan. The Jews, the Hebrews of the Covenant and the Synagogue of Satan. Now, if you have been listening to Signs and Wonders broadcasts through the years, then you know this word. But for those new to this information, let me explain. 
There is a 400-year prophecy found in the Bible that is speaking of a peculiar time and a peculiar people. These people are documented throughout history. The documentation to understand this information goes back thousands of years. This information spans in various forms through spiritual practices, passing down through word of mouth, written down on scrolls, turned into religions, translated in multiple languages, hidden and rediscovered and revised. The bulk of this information, although not complete, can still be deciphered. It can be deciphered if you have dedication and discipline. Now, in saying that, you can also discover whom these prophecies are concerning if you just simply observe. Just through, just through simple observation. Okay, in saying this, one of the most revealing examples is found in the Torah. The Torah from the book of Moses. And this book is called Genesis. Now I'm going to read what it says in the book of Genesis. The section is called Yah's Covenant with Abram. Genesis 15, and it reads, After these things, the word of Yahuwah came into Abraham in a vision. Uh, let me do that. Let me read, read that correctly. It says, After these things, the word of Yahuwah came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Mighty Yah, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of Yahuwah came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he, listen, listen carefully now, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth aboard and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. For those whom recall, this was way before Abram was called Abraham. He did not know Ayah. Because the statement, I am that I am, which you can find on the ancient Hebrew chart on HebrewsWakeUp.com. There's an ancient Hebrew chart. You go there, find it. You can break this down into Paleo Hebrew. That phrase, I am that I am. Now, this is a statement. The statement that explains the deeper understanding of Yah of creation. That statement was not revealed to Moshe yet. 
The spiritual beliefs and practices of Judaism began long after the birth of Moshe. His brother Aaron is the line of the Levitical priesthood. Their father Levi was the son of Yaakov, whom was the son of Isaac, whom was the son of Abraham. Therefore, the seed that Yahshua is speaking about are all the children of Abram. Okay? Now, these children are Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, and Yaakov. Which means even the Muslims are Hebrews, because that's from Ishmael. Right? They come from Ishmael. Even the Edomites are Hebrews, because they come from Esau. Now keep in mind, this is why we have the parable of the wheat and the tares in the book of, uh, uh, in the book of Matthew. It's a parable and explaining Abraham, the seed of Abraham. This is speaking about the covenant Hebrews of the seed of Jacob, because there was only one Hebrews that made the covenant. This is speaking about the covenant Hebrews of the seed of Jacob and the seed of the serpent, which is the synagogue of Satan. This is spiritual. I told you that this broadcast was spiritual. And you have to understand it to understand what's going on today. Genesis 15 explains how many people will come from Abraham. And it says, and he brought him forth abroad and said, look now towards heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, so shall thy seed be. Now, I have a question, a few questions. First, can you number the total amount of Hebrews? If a person converts to Judaism, does this affect the DNA? Does the conversion affect the DNA? Are there more than 15 million stars in heaven? Can you number the stars? Are, aren't we told there are more than 15 stars in heaven? So are there 15, are there more than 15 stars in heaven? Outer space, the universe, the heavens. And at what time in history did modern, white, non-Hebrew Europeans become Afro-Asiatic genetically? When did this happen? Now, while you think of this, I will proceed. Now, the 1619 till 2019 prophecy can be found in these scriptures. And this book, the Genesis uh, 15, it reads, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know for a surety 
that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom thou shalt serve, I will judge, and afterward shall thy come out with great substance. Now this prophecy was made for a specific people for a specific time. And I want those of you speaking about all the descendants of slavery to pay close attention. Okay? Pay close attention to this chapter. That word bondage obviously means slavery. It obviously means slavery. The people this chapter is referring to are in 400 years of bondage. Now, those of the 15 million tribe want you to believe this happened during the time of the Hyksos invasion from 1650 till 1550. Now, think clearly. This math does not add up. Okay? It just don't add up. Now, <clears throat> if people focus on the 400-year time frame from 1550 till, let's say, 1069 BCE, that's 400 years also. But if they focused on that, because you understand, th those that are writing our story are also hiding our history. And for them to come and, 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 and explain this, they got to explain out a lot of different things. Okay? Now, if they were to say it was from 1550 till 1069 BCE, then they would have to admit the Nubian kingdom of Cush were the Hebrews. You'd have to focus on that because then you can see that, okay, the Nubian kingdom of Cush, therefore, would be the Hebrews. However, we know this time frame is not the case. Now, even though some of this would be the truth, after the Hyksos was chased out of Egypt, Moses and the Hebrews were no longer there at this time. It doesn't mean that the Hyksos were the Hebrews. Be very careful about this because many people think this is the case. But we will explain this later. And there's another chapter, uh, uh, another, the next section of, of this three-part series. Ma'at and the Yah of Justice will break all of this down completely. Documentations, receipts, all that. Okay? Now, all this means is that the 400-year prophecy was for a later time. I have a very detailed broadcast that explains this. You can research this yourself in many books as well. You can find this in the Apocrypha. You can find it in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy the different books written by the prophets throughout scriptures. Now, for starters... Uh, you can search the website, HebrewsWakeUp.com, and there's a broadcast called 
2013, Rise of the Black Messiah, Ezekiel 37, Free at Last. Anytime you see uh, Rise of the Black Messiah, listen to those because it's, it, they're all connected. And each one is a piece of the, of the story, history that, was, that, that I discovered. You put it together, listen to those broadcasts, and get caught up to speed. That right there, Rise of the Black Messiah, Ezekiel 37, Free at Last, this is a good start. Now, to their misfortune, I hate using that word fortune, but it's appropriate right now in this, 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 uh, this context. There's mis to their misfortune, many of those who claim to be ADOS or DOS have abandoned the word and are now calling it the white man's religion. What you fail to comprehend is that it was your word before they conflated it. You now have to take back the narrative and understand that they had to become us to control the message. The purpose of the Hebrews is to tell the message. The purpose of the usurper is to not tell the message. Suppress it. Our story is the greatest story ever told. The time frame from 1619 is part of that story. Okay. 1619 is just a part of the story. Now, we're going to break down how to find the 400 year time timeline because a lot of confusion is about this. Okay. Genesis 15, 15. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet full. Okay, let's do the math because we're talking about the fourth generation. This is a, this is a time. It says, "But thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a in a good old age, meaning you're not going to die. You're going to be buried in an old age, but in the fourth generation. That means he didn't even have children yet. And he's saying, but in the fourth generation, this is what's going to happen. The Amorites. The Amorites didn't even exist yet." Okay, because the Amorites come out of Esau. This is information that that you have to know in order to understand what those, these words are talking about. You have to know it. So when you dismiss it, you don't know anything. Clueless. You can't you can't debate nothing. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Now, let's do the math. The fourth generation would be 160 or 288 years if we were to count. And I'll tell y'all how I, how I got that. Okay. Either I'll do it now or I'll do it later. Okay, now you have 160 years or 280 years from when Abram heard this message. Okay. I have a formula. Many of y'all know it. 
The fourth generation is speaking about Moshe and Yahshua, which is also Moses or Joshua, for those of you that are still not up to speed. Moses and Yahshua, these individuals aren't born yet. Now, to calculate the length of the generation, we will trace from Abraham to his son Isaac, then Jacob to Levi, and then Kuth to Amron, then Moshe. Aaron and Mizraim, I'm sorry, um, Aaron and Miriam. Then next we trace Yahshua, whom was the next generation after Moshe. Okay, Yahshua, ja uh, Joshua, in case y'all confused, that's what I'm talking about. Joshua came the next generation after Moshe. His father was Nun, remember? The son of Nun. Nun was the son of Laden, then to Raith, the son of Ephraim, named Beriah. Okay? Now, Ephraim was one of the sons of Joseph. You ever hear of Ephraim in Manassas? Ephraim was in a, a very important figure. Ephraim was the one that led um, the uh, other ten tribes up into the north, and that's why you have black Europeans. This is why you had all these black dynasties up in the north, because that was the ten tribes of Israel. Okay? The other two tribes, which was the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Jacob, who the Jews claim they are, the Jews, Jacob, or um, Judah, Judah, sorry about that, they're all the tribes of, of Jacob, the seed of Jacob. Um, Judah or Judah. And then you have the Benjamins, the Benjamites. Because these were where the two um, priest lines come from. They went south. And like I, like I spoke of earlier about the um, Ethiopians and these the ones that were um, sold into slavery, this is how we find them. Okay? Satan has been hiding you. Now, if all these names are confusing, like I said, you can find this information on HebrewsWakeUp.com on the Table of Nations. Go to the research section of the website and you'll see that. Look up Table of Nations, the book After the Flood. Okay? Joseph was the youngest son of Jacob whom was sold into slavery by his brothers during the time of the Hyksos. You can also find this in the Apocrypha books. One of these books is called the Book of Yasser, or Jasser. Now, if this is the case, then the fourth generation took place during the 18th dynasty. Those of you that are Egyptologists that are into studying Kemet, They were in the 18th dynasty, which was during the time frame of 1550 BCE after the Hyksos usurpation. Because the Hyksos usurpation happened, and then they were chased out by the 18th dynasty. That's why King Tut Akhenaten, 
Queen Tai. Ah, Moses, all of this, they're all focusing on this. The most popular, most famous um, uh, um, um, uh, so-called mummies. The, 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 the most famous pharaohs found during the exact same time that the Hyksos are being pushed out of there, the conflict in the, in the time when the, uh, the Hebrews are now in this, time, in this area, okay? In Genesis fifteen seventeen, it reads, And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between these, those pieces. In the same day, Yahuwah made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the great Euphrates. Now, here's some names. The Kenites and the Kenazites and the uh, Kadmonites and the Hittites and the Preziites and the Raphaims. That's the one that's important, right? Raphaims and the Amorites. Remember, I talked about the Amorites. This is them. And the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites. Okay. Now, before I continue, I want to bring your attention to two names that were in this these scriptures. Okay. The first name is Raphims. The Raphims. This is Hebrews seven four nine seven in the Strong Concordance. Hebrews seven four nine seven. We find a prime root word that means invigorating, energized, and giant. Okay? If you understand the Nephilim, the giants, this is the seed of the giants. They survived the flood. Then we go and we search deeper, and the word leads to Hebrews 105, and it says, House of the Giants. It's called Beth Roth. Chronicles 8 1. Now Benjamin begot Bela, his firstborn, Ashbel, and second, and Ahara, the third, Noah, the fourth, and Repha, the fifth. Okay, that's how they snuck in. Unfortunately, through the line of Benjamin, the Rephims are from the seed of Repha, whom is the fifth son of Benjamin, who is the brother of Joseph, the father of Ephraim. Ephraim, the ten tribes that went north. Now keep in mind, the Hyksos are in Egypt at this time. Benjamin and Ephraim are there. Benjamin was the younger brother of Joseph. Ephraim was the son of Joseph, the two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim are born in Egypt after their brother sold them into Egypt. Know the story. If you don't know this story, you don't know what you don't know. Now, look who else was there. We have the Kenites and the Kenizzites 
and the Kudmonites and the Hittites and the Pezirites and the Raphims and the Amorites and the Kenites and the Gergesites and the Jebusites. Now, if your ears heard the Kenites, there's still hope. If you heard, if you, if your ears perked up, were like, hmm, I remember that Kenites from when I used to study the word. I'm Kenites. I remember that. If they, there's still hope. <laughs> but if not, you need to study. All right. Now I'm gonna break down what is the Kenites. The name Kenites is Hebrew seven zero one seven. Kenites. It says uh, Hebrew seven zero one seven Kenites or member of the tribe of Cajun. So. Who's the tribe of Cajun? Now this refers to Hebrews 7014 and it reads, Cajun, like the jinn, Cajun, the name of the first child, also of a place in Palestine, same area, and of an oriental tribe, Cain, Kenite. Okay, now it's interesting how they say an oriental tribe which means Mongols. It means Cain must have intertwined with the Mongols. Do you know who Cain is? Cain and Abel, the son of Adam and Eve, which started the serpent seed line based on what happened in the garden, the parables. Understand? Okay. This is his first son, Cajun. This is the first son of Cain. His name was Cajun. Okay. Therefore, the tribe of Cajun are the Kenites. They survived the flood. Okay. They survived the flood. So there's more to this story than what they've told you. And the reason why they kept this information from you is so you don't know how to tell the story. Remember, they they took the story so they do not tell it. You take it back so you tell it. And when you tell it, you heal the planet. How do you like how the planet looks right now? How do you like that 26 uh, people owning more wealth than everybody else, than half the population? How do you like them being able to just run into Venezuela and just take the oil and kill Libya when, when um, they were trying to uh, push towards peace? How do you like all the wars around and, and the racism? Do you think this is the world that I y'all wanted? But yet you reject the word. You get what you sow. Now we read that Yahuwah made a covenant, which is a binding agreement with the seed of Abram of the fourth generation. This was fulfilled with Joshua or Yahshua. I keep saying that to teach Joshua is actually Yahshua, the same name from Jesus, Yahshua, the son of Nun and Moshe. Now, for those who are familiar with the story, this binding agreement was the children of Yaakov so that they would clear the land of the seed of the fallen demonic beings. Now, keep in mind this name, Yahshua. Like I said, is the same name, Jesus. 
The meaning of the name comes from Hebrew 3091 in the Strong's Concordance. Yahshua. In this name you find words like salvation, to defend, to be safe, to be free. Yahshua, the Savior, was changed to J Joshua, and then was changed to J J Jesus. Okay, just like Jesuits, Jesus, Jesuits. They think they're funny, and like you have heard in the original language, this letter was changed from Y to J. Okay, that's why they said there is no J. The church fathers changed it. Exodus 17, And Moshe said unto Yahushua, Choose us out men, and go out fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of Yah in my hand. So Yahushua did as Moshe had said to him, and fought with Amalek. And Moshe, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. All right, so here we read that the book of Exodus in the fourth generation, our ancestors, are fighting Amalek. Now, the question would be, who is Amalek? It's very important to understand this. Okay, now I'm going to read Genesis 3615. Now, I apologize for that background noise. Uh the 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 uh the the, the uh, synagogue of Satan is pissed because I'm breaking his word down, but we're just gonna ignore it and keep on reading. Genesis thirty six fifteen. That's if y'all hear it. <clears throat> there were dukes of the. These are the dukes. These were the dukes. Remember, dukes are like lords, like and they they knight you in the um, in the monarchy back in the day. They called these dukes, and it says. These are the dukes that came of uh, Eliphaz in the land of Edom. These were the sons of Adah. Okay. Now, let's break down this word Amalek. Uh, Amalek came from the seed of Esau. Okay. That's why we say the Edomites. Uh, and Esau turned... Esau integrated so much with the seed of the serpent that he no longer looks like a Hebrew anymore. Okay? That's why we have the um, tares of the, the parable, the parable of the tares. Okay? Um, Esau, he is the brother of Jacob. Okay? That's why Amalek is the enemy. Because this is the son of Esau. This is a duke. A duke. Like I mentioned earlier in Genesis 15, 19 through 21. We hear the name Kenites and Canaanites. Okay. Now, the difference between the Kenites with the K and the Canaanites are called Canaanites with a C is the Canaanites are of the lineage of Ham. And the Kenites are of the lineage of Cain. Cain was the son of Adam and Eve. The reason why I keep repeating this is because it's very important. 
This goes back to another prophecy directed towards the serpent king. The serpent king you'll find out later on in the next part of this series is in the line of the Hyksos. Which is why they had to escape bondage. Everything ties together. Okay. And Genesis 3, 15. Okay. 12 chapters earlier. It says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. The name Jacob in Hebrew H3290. Go back to strong concordance, Hebrews H3290, which means heel catcher. Now this, is, now, this is like hardcore, straight to the point information. Unfiltered, straight. The reason why everything is happening, I'm giving it to you. The whole reason why those usurpers are in Israel and all hell is being caused, I'm giving it to you right now. Okay, Hebrews 3290, which means heel catcher. That is a supplanter. Okay, to supplant, to usurp. That's what Yaakov's name means. It means to usurp. Okay, but there's there's a play here. H6117, take by the heel. He was his 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 name means to take by the heel. Now, if you remember the story, Esau was the firstborn. Yaakov grabbed his heel. Esau felt betrayed by Yaakov because he took his birthright for a bowl of soup with the help of their mother, Rebecca. Remember, because Rebecca made a soup and they tricked their father, Isaac, and then Esau gave his birthright away to Yaakov, which is a, a, a metaphor and a parable that we have to break down and understand the true meaning, the, the real meaning of this. And when we get our books, we can actually really dig into it and all get together and, and, and figure out what really happened in the story. Okay? Because they're saying more here than they can. Then, then there's more here to this story, obviously. Okay? Now, <clears throat> this is why we have Esau, Amalek, the Raphims, the tribe of Cajun, bruising the heel who are the seed of Yaakov. Now, I know this is confusing to those that don't follow scriptures. And a lot of criticism can go to pastors that don't know how to teach this information because a lot of them don't know how to teach it, so they leave it alone. They say, don't even pay attention to the Old Testament. We're only going to work on the New Testament. We're just going to think about Christianity and that's it, but we're not going to talk about the ancient history. The reason how and why we got to this point right here. The reason why there needed to be the birth of Yahshua. The reason why Yahshua said, you are the seep, you are the serpents. And, 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 and the reason why he said that goes back to here. Okay? So, the pastors are at fault. That don't understand this. But those that do teach this are shining light for our people. And the world. Now, however, during slavery and Jim Crow, members of the dominant society would stand by the door 
and monitor what the preachers were saying. So we can't really blame the pastors for not understanding this because this is learned behavior. Just like um, um, the Dalit and the Akdam just pushed into society. This is what the black codes have done. The black codes were to make sure that we don't preach this word. Are y'all starting to see the picture? Okay. During slavery and Jim Crow, members of the dominant society would stand by the door and monitor what was being preached. And if you veered off Ephesians 6, the noose would follow. However, in 2019, this is not the case, so there's no excuse. Hosea 46, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, and thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy Yah, I will also forget thy children. Okay. Now, in Ezekiel 37, you're going to read about the shaking of the dry bones. Okay. This shaking of the, of the dry bones is the connection of the 1619. The shaking of the dry bones is the 1919 riots. Rise of the Black Messiah, 1968. The drug wars of the 1970s with the Vietnam. The destruction of the, of the Black Panthers. Okay. Remember, remember when J. Edgar Hoover put out the um, uh, put out the rise of the black black Messiah. We have to watch that. And in, in, in the uh, he actually did this, in I think it was the the forties and fifties. And he looked at Marcus Garvey and he said, "Okay, we have to destroy this guy because this could be the one that they're talking about." Now, um, all of these secret societies, we don't know what society Hoover was a part of. We don't know if, if Hoover was um, uh, a part of the the Albert Pike Society that was that writ the, written the letter that prophesized the war and the coming of Lucifer. But it seems like they knew because it seems like everything they did to us on this planet has always been to suppress us. Right. Remember, we, they had the destruction of the Black Panthers. The Black Panthers are coming powerful, talking about our right to bear arms. And, and we walked and we were we forced to take care of our communities. That was destroyed. The crack epidemic of the 80s and 90s. Then AIDS. But in Ezekiel 37, it says the dead will rise. The dead will rise. The dry bones. We are the dry bones and we will rise. Are we rising now? In 2017, they tried to 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 to, to um, suppress it again by labeling black identity extremists. Most likely I'll be labeled a black identity extremist. They get too scared. 
You know, you're a black identity extremist when you know that the Jews in Israel aren't true Jews. There is no Jack. So their name even is false. But they can't stop it. Because in 2019, we are starting to stand on our feet. American descendants of slavery. Haitian descendants of slavery. Jamaican descendants of slavery. Colombian descendants of slavery. Brazilian descendants of slavery. Venezuelan descendants of slavery. Stand on your feet. Reparations. Okay. South Africa. Stand on your feet. Uganda, Kenya, Nigeria, Libya, Ghana, Senegal, Africa. Stand on your feet. Know who you are. Ethiopia. All oh, praise are you March 20th, 2019, today, the equinox, the spring equinox, and also the new year, the official start of 2019. That's why I wanted to, to release this broadcast. Now listen to Rise of the Black Messiah, because the, the Black Messiahs are rising. The bones are shaking. We have to shake this post-traumatic slave syndrome. Okay. Now, what will happen after reparations? We will be fine. And what I want to say, actually, I'll, I'll discuss that later because even if they don't um, give us reparations, which we know they don't have the money to because they'd be broke, all right? In my opinion, that's, that is the point, but it's not the point. Bear with me. Let me explain. This, is, this devil, once it's gone as an obstacle out of our way, we will be prosperous regardless. We're going to need to rebuild everything from a toothbrush to a toothpick, from shoes to clothes. Okay. We have the power and ability to do this. We've done it before. That's why they had to take the riots and tear down like Black Wall Street. Okay? Remember when um, when Booker T. Washington, after slavery, up from slavery, comes and he, he, he makes these, these trade schools and then it was so powerful that even Rockefeller and Carnegie uh, had to come and glean from our success and then utilize it and suppress it by taking all the resources that we built again. They know the power that we have, the pyramids, the great, the great African kingdoms. So numerous that you can't count them all. That's us. We don't need this beast's money. We just need him to leave us alone. Now in 2019, we have no excuse. 
If you call yourself a pastor or a preacher, you need to teach this message. Pastors and preachers need to boldly speak on the ADOS movement. These ancient books that go back thousands of years are about you. The wicked Edomites hijacked and whitewashed religion. This is not our spirituality. It's a trap. Now I'm going to conclude with a prayer. Please stay tuned for a final part in this three-part series entitled Ma'at in the Yah of Justice. Ma'at in the Yah of Justice. I'll have that on, uh, post, post that on the website when that's going to um, be spoken. But I want this one to marinate for a little bit while it's up there. And um, <clears throat> let me close with a prayer. A message to Ayah. Ayah, thank you for this message. Bless those that will receive it. Give power and wisdom back to your children. Reintroduce us to the meaning of your name. Remind us of our covenant we had with you. Oh, Ayah. Thank you, mighty Ayah, for protecting us. Yeshua. Guide us in the name of our brother, the teacher, Yeshua. All praise Yah. All praise Yah. All praise Yah. All right, thank you for listening. I hope you are blessed. Peace.